Welcome everybody to the Connecting Construction Podcast. My name is Matt Sprague and I am your host for this episode. For all of you newbies to the show, the Connecting Construction Podcast is all about exploring what is new and cutting edge in the construction industry. We set out to speak with industry veterans and, and innovators to learn about the such things as modernization of construction, the workforce evolution, crucial digital transformations within the industry, sustainability, technological advancements, and, and, and honestly, much, much more. This episode explores a few of those topics. We are super lucky uh, to have had both an industry veteran and a technological innovator join us. Ian Warner is a construction solutions architect for Trimble. He brings with him a lot of experience of what you will learn about during this conversation. Uh, we had a wonderful discussion around a few different topics, ranging from digital transformations and the use of different scanning and mixed reality technologies, all the way to learning about what Ian is doing uh, to help educate the future workforce. So really, enough about me and the preamble to this episode. Let's get to the interview. So uh, we are very pleased uh, to uh, have Ian Warner with us today. And I'll, uh, I'll let Ian introduce himself a little bit more uh, in a moment. But uh, to give you a bit of a background, uh, Ian is a construction technology advocate who has worked with architects, engineers, contractors, and owners, and educational institutions across the world to help improve the design, build, operate lifecycle. As the construction solutions architect for Trimble, his hands-on implementation of emerging technologies, including mixed reality, robotic total stations, laser scanning, accurate BIM, and many others, has shown thousands of, in of industry professionals how these solutions help improve the entire building process. Welcome, Ian. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Always have fun when we're chatting together. Absolutely. So uh, Ian uh, actually just just came back from a week uh, in Las Vegas, not partying, uh, but he was at the uh, national. I'm probably going to get the wrong, get this wrong, but he was at the the, the national carpenters union headquarters uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, what, what were you? Uh, you were performing a class there. What was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, so it's the Carpenters International Training Institute. So they've got about a million, 1.1 million square feet down there for a training center, and then teach a bunch of specific courses. So I go out there few times a year, every year, and help with uh, their robotic total station class, and uh, some of their BIM curriculum, and a few other things. So just trying to trying to help out. I was a member of the Carpenters Union for about seven years in my previous life. So try to give back where I can, and uh, love helping out uh, helping out all those folks over there as well. Cool. So it, we're going to work. I guess, but uh, yeah. DC for before that. So. <laughs> We're going to hit a bit more about uh, what you're doing with with unions and educational opportunities a little bit a little bit later in this conversation. But um, I gave uh, probably a very kind of like textbook uh, introduction to 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 what uh, what you do and who you are. But let's dive into a little bit little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about your background uh, and and what you do at Trimble and what your passions are uh, around construction. 
I'm going to take it all the way back to when I was a baby, born, go from there. Is that is that yeah, far enough? That, that works well. You know, any any life lessons you've learned along the way would be great. Uh, yeah. So I actually, um, in high school, I grew up in a house that was built by an architect. And so I thought architects got to go build houses. So that's... Uh, Basically, I started off trying to go into the architecture department and uh, get an architecture degree at the University of Kansas and very quickly learned that I was more into the money and hands-on type applications. So got a kind of dual bachelor's in architecture studies with uh, a business degree as well. And then went to, uh, didn't want to pay back my student loans. So I went and got a uh, master's for architectural management with an emphasis in design, build, construction management. So. Started off in the trades, grew up on a farm, was building everything out there and, and uh, working working on the farm and then worked in the trades during the summers during uh, college and loved, loved doing the hands-on thing. And, and uh, after going through college, I went and uh, started working for a couple general contractors. Having the, the college background, they automatically put you into the product, product manager type of uh, role and, and that whole career track. And, did that for a few years, ended up uh, wanting to switch out to the field. So when I was at JE Dunn, they transferred me over to the, the field program. They had a great program where uh, they had all of their superintendent trainees actually join the Carpenters Union, go through all three, four years of apprenticeship and uh, use that as kind of a basis. So they understood what the other, what the uh, folks were doing that you're gonna manage and you know, get some hands-on applications as well as meet a lot of the people you're gonna be working with on a daily basis. So I absolutely love that. Uh, carpenter foreman, concrete foreman, general uh, assistant superintendent, and then superintendent right before the uh, recession. So that was that was lots of fun. So <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend being a superintendent during the recession. So that's all I can tell you. But, um, and then we got the opportunity to build a project for Trimble back in 2012, 2011 timeframe. And I got to be the on-site technology manager for that project. And then I just stayed in the building I built. So got to know a lot of folks from, from the Trimble ecosystem, the machine control and geospatial. And that's right when they were putting the building's portfolio together and, and loved what they were doing. And, and, uh, they were nice enough to let me stay, which was, which was really nice. And since then I've basically helped develop the uh, building point, um, uh, the building point channel across the world, um, helped develop a lot of products. And now I just concentrate on key accounts, union engagements, a few universities here and there, still teach classes all over the place. And, uh, a little bit of time on emerging technologies as well. So get to go play with cool toys and stuff behind the background, behind the curtain. So that's that's what keeps me keeps me energized. That's good stuff. Yeah, there's there there are plenty of those emerging technologies that every time I go to the office that or the office buildings that did you were a part of building, um, there's a lot of good stuff. The the little civil rodeo that we have out out back and uh, even the, the the fourth floor of building two. Uh, where we get to do a lot of the show off of the the the, the AR and the the VR and the MR technology. So, um, so there is a there's a lot of talk about the term digital transformation, uh, specifically in the well, it's across all industries. But today I want to talk just about the digital transformation in the construction industry. So, what does that mean to you, and why does it matter? Well, that's a pretty broad topic and a broad question, but um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I've been in construction now 25 years or so, and it feels like the last five to 10 years, we've really picked up a lot of momentum, kind of digitizing the entire process. 
you know, it started out with just digitizing plans. I think that was one of, one of the big, uh, the big hurdles, I think, in the early 2000s was just getting all those plans digital. And, you know, I was running work uh, in the late, you know, 2000s up into 2010. And that was the biggest hurdle on the job site was trying to make sure everybody's playing off the same sheet of music, you know, using the same, same set of plans. So products like Project Site, where they've got all the latest and greatest plans, you know, right up front and center and down to your phone type application, that's made a huge pro um, improvement in the entire process. And um, honestly, that's that's a, a good first start, but it literally goes all the way back to just the you know feasibility planning, constructability models, estimating. Um, just trying to do some of these these initial uh, logistics plans and doing that in a digital format like SketchUp or something similar there. Um, we've even got a lot of contractors now that are going out and laser scanning a project before they even go propose because they have all that data at their fingertips. And when they're in the office trying to figure out how they're going to build this project, how they're going to propose to the owner on the best methodology and you know, trying to convey the message that they actually understand that project better than any other contractors. Having that digital asset that has built of uh, the existing conditions before they even start makes a huge difference. I mean, they they can walk into that proposal knowing more about the project than a lot of the, the folks that are around the table making the decision. So um, that's been a big part of it. And then, you know, BIM, the constructible BIM has been, that's kind of been my soapbox, I think, for the last 10, 15 years is let's let's build this twice, once in virtual reality and then once in reality and not build it twice because you build it wrong in reality the first time have to wreck it and then go build it again that was uh that was something that drove me drove me crazy when i was in the field and you know the people would walk in the office all the time and that was saying we build it nice because we build it twice and that would just literally make my hair stand on end and you know turn me red in the face so i, I like the con concept but let's do it digitally first we can screw all screw it up all we want to the first time digitally get it right get it ready to build and then take it out to the field so make it easy on the field folks and don't make them do all the engineering out there on the site. Okay, making sure you were making sure you're done before I I butted in. That's a good pause. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about um, building it virtually before you build it in the real world. Um, talk to me about prior to doing it the right the right way um what what, what was happening what, what was the reason for the disconnect why why was it being designed then built once and then built a second time where where was the where were the problems lying yeah i think you know a lot of people that have been doing construction and engineering and design for a long time in their life they basically automatically kind of think of 3d and then for our permits we all still have to kind of dumb it down to a 2d format and then that's what we're contractually bound by for the project. Uh, but there's so much you can't convey in those 2D documents that really comes into play. I mean, just just starting out with the civil grading and the uh, utilities that are going underground and making sure they have the right um, the right crossing paths and, and uh, we're not too close on water and sewer lines and those types of things. Like literally digitizing that and taking it into a 3D format um, just helps everybody understand what's what's supposed to be built in the first place. Um, you can get so much from a 2D plan, and after years and years and decades, sometimes you can look at a set of plans and kind of understand it uh, fairly well. But you know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, and a 3D model is is worth you know a thousand pictures, so if we can take that information, take it into a 3D format, it takes a lot of the guesswork, a lot of the questions that people are going to have, or a lot of the 
confusion that people are going to have when they go to build this project takes that out of the equation. Now we can all just go and actually start building exactly what what we know needs to be there. So that's a big part of it, I think. And uh, you know, when we get into even 3D models um, for the design process, they only have so much detail because they can't prescriptively design it at the beginning. So if we can take those models and then just enhance them throughout the process and add those constructability details, you know, that's, uh, you know, the nuts, the bolts, the, the LOD 400 type level of detail in there where we're picking out the manufacturer and now we know the exact size and parts and pieces that go into play. Uh, that really makes a big difference on the connections and how things come together. You know, we're, we're literally down to, you know, eighths of an inch on a job site to make sure, make sure things fit correctly. And if you're doing that on a 2D plan, there's only so close you can get and then you just force everybody else to kind of fix it in the field so we can digitize it get it down to that constructability level of detail now we can put it into the total stations and literally point a laser to where everything's supposed to go down to the 16th of an inch which is science fiction from 10 years ago or 15 years ago and i had super my found some of my favorite superintendents or one of my favorite superintendents used to yell at me and kid go get that magic box and tell me where this concrete's supposed to go so so, the magic box that's what i love that's what i love the total station being called <laughs> we're going to change the branding yeah that's right <laughs> so um it's my understanding that um some of the areas of disconnect in the the from from transitioning from design to build is the fact that the majority of the planning and design were happening from the the architects engineers and the owners and that the contractors are kind of left out of the equation or had been historically right do you see that that is changing uh it, it with with the the spirit of what you were talking about in terms of designing it once and building it once and bringing the contractors into it and then what uh what what contractual mechanisms are changing to 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 afford um, that type of interaction? Yeah, that's perfect. I think um, you know a lot of people are are still thinking about construction in that traditional design bid build uh, methodology, where the architects and engineers kind of design it the vacuum. They put it on the street to try to get the best price. Uh, they bid it. They take the lowest bidder, and then they go forward from there. And I think a lot of a lot of savvy owners and a lot of uh, you know a lot of architects engineers after doing that so many times they figured out that that's that's not necessarily getting you the best value so a lot of folks have started transitioning over to either design build type contracts where the contractor and a lot of the key subs are brought in early and actually contractually bound to that design document or um, integrated project delivery where they're not necessarily contractually bound to the design, but they're brought in early to give uh, feasibility analysis, you know, um, value engineering type proposals, or literally getting into the parts and the pieces and saying, yeah, this didn't work on the last project. Here's a better system and, and a better way of installing it. And if they're brought in early, it makes a huge difference on the actual end delivery date. You can bring that forward quite a bit because you're not going through and fighting through a bunch of change orders and issues later on. And, you can actually you know bring in that expertise that you're paying for early and uh you know bring the feet on the street they're actually going to put the put the duct in the air or put the, the pipes underground and make sure they're they're a part of the team and they feel like they're part of the design and seems to bring that that whole uh, mentality 
a lot closer together instead of being so combative. They're they're here to work together to build a project, and uh, you know you just need to try to make sure that the contract um, really validates that and and kind of uh, rewards that behavior as well. So there are a few mechanisms to do that, but uh, I don't think anybody's found the magic magic bullet yet. But we're still working on it. Gotcha. Well. <clears throat> You gave me a, a really good segue in terms of um, the term working together. So we just talked about um, humans working together, um, but um, your specialty is a lot of the technology that that that, that we have uh, and the technology that's out there. So um, if you look at those in terms of the the things that generate data, uh, so the, the the scanning, the surveying, whatever it might be. Um, and how historically that's great. They're generating a lot of data, but that creates siloed data. So talk about how Brimble is working towards connecting those data through through particular, uh, what we're referring to as connected workflows and having that data uh, very similar to how contractors actually start helping with the planning design process, how the data is actually uh, uh, working together to provide better insights uh, throughout the entire uh, life cycle of an asset. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think you kind of hit it on the nail, hit the head, hit the nail on the head. There we go. That's the right terminology. Um, you know, trying to get the uh, the engineers basically to hand over that that information early. So if they get hired on from from the architecture side, they do the initial survey, they give that information to the architects and the other engineering teams. Having that data get passed directly over to some of the contractors. You know, everybody's willing to kind of sign the documents that says, "Hey, we well, rely on this 100%." But if you can use that as a basis, now at least we get that data flow into the contractors' hands as they start the estimating process. Um, and really, they can they can dial in that estimate really tight. They can get a few different uh, value engineering proposals uh, put together that way, so the owners can can choose the best value and move forward from that perspective. But then that that whole information that uh, that data from the estimate can feed right into project controls, and then the 3D models can be fed into contractors. They can start adding that extra layer of uh, constructability that LOD, you know, 300, 350, 400, whatever it might be, and then take that out directly to the field, either on the machines or the civil grading and utilities or the robotic total stations to start laying the foundations, rebar, and, and um, you know, everything basically going up through the superstructure. Uh, and then we're incorporating a lot of the laser scanning. So a lot of the contractors now, especially on the utility side, on the concrete side on the initial uh, structure, so precast or structural steel or whatever it might be, they're actually laser scanning. Uh, as soon as they dig the trench or they lay the concrete forms or they're getting ready for a slab on grade and literally capture every piece of rebar, every piece of uh, conduit for the electrical that's under that uh, rebar mats or post-tensioning cables or whatever it might be, but capturing all that data down to you know, literally a couple millimeter type accuracy. So we can add that back into the 3D model, move around any components that we might need to adjust on the 3D model or use that for inspection, and then uh, basically update that 3D model so we have a true as-built as we hand that over to the architects and the owners or if we need to make changes later on. Mixed reality has become a big part of that as well as far as being able to walk the site and you know either using your phone with, uh, with Connect AR or 
uh, Trimble Sight Vision as well. If you connect a GNSS uh, receiver with that uh, same augmented reality through your phone, and literally you can see through the ground, see through the site, see where things are supposed to be or where they're actually installed. Um, and then on the XR10, walking the building as well, making sure that uh, things are getting built accordingly. Um, you know, it's kind of a quick gut check. If the VDC folks or project engineer or superintendent or foreman can throw that on their head, start walking the site and see that the ductwork straps are in the right location or you've got miscellaneous steel that may be interfering with whatever on that mechanical installations or you're looking through the walls and making sure that uh, you know everything's lining up in place within the walls you don't have any outliers um, that makes a huge difference as they start walking through there and hopefully you can catch mistakes before they get made or catch them early enough that they don't cascade and make gigantic errors going forward um, even on the owner side, like mixed reality has made a huge difference too. So like typically on a hospital project, you spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars building all these mock-up rooms, mock-up OR, mock-up uh, examination room, mock-up um, CT or MRI room. And so if we can actually just do that in a digital world with a uh, mixed reality device, they can make some early decisions. You don't have to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars making up a full mock-up in an offsite location. You can do that digitally and walk through and make sure the ergonomics work correctly and literally save tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and, and make sure the owners are going to be happy when they're done. So that's that's the big part of this. Yeah, it's like making sure that it's actually usable too. I, I, I heard a story um, around the use of, of, of uh, mixed reality uh, or even virtual reality, e either way, around, the, uh, and again, it was the design of a, of a hospital. And um, again, this was before any work had begun, it was purely in the design phase. And they had um, an assortment of, of nurses and, and doctors and uh, other, uh, other people who work in, in the hospital, you know, go into the, into the virtual world. And they realized that their design, and it was just something as simple as this, the placement of the ice machine was going to cause like over the course of a week like two to three extra miles of walking or something crazy like that uh, in terms of so it was just you know it was something along those lines being like was it really going to save any money no but it was going to save a lot of grief uh from uh, specifically the nurses who were going to have to every time they had to go get ice was going to have to walk like probably i think it was like an additional 100 yards to go get the dang thing so um it's 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 uh sometimes it's not necessarily uh intuitive uh in terms of the uh, the benefits that these things will provide right yeah exactly exactly and the result would have been they probably would have moved that ice maker later and then you're ripping into walls with med gas in there and then all sorts of potential issues so yeah, yeah. Not, not just a, not, not just a couple miles but uh, probably all sorts of other headaches yeah so um before you had mentioned that you're now working with like kind of key key customers and and helping them kind of understand you know maybe not necessarily entitled like digital transformation, but that's what you are driving there. Uh, and I don't know how much you're allowed to uh, allowed to share. Maybe we can kind of anonymize it in terms of the customers, but like what are some of the problems that you're helping them solve? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it's been taking that 3D model out to the field. That's probably been one of the biggest issues we've had. And even if it's just PDFs, right? So 
lot of times it's trying to figure out how to take that PDF out to the field and get it get it built according to all the details. So um, some of our latest total stations have the ability to import the PDF drawings directly and you can lay out according to that PDF um, or you can just take the 3D model or 2D CAD work drawings and start the layout directly there. So trying to put in a, um, a process and a procedure in place so that they can under the you know these bigger accounts, these key accounts, and some you know some of these are small contractors here that are local or international or uh, some of the major you know, top E and R one hundred companies as well. But uh, they all need help kind of standardizing on that process and the procedure, and then the training that goes behind that I think is is fundamental. So we can we can sell some of the best hardware software in the world, but uh, if the folks in the field don't get some training and they don't get an ongoing training curriculum going with that. Uh, it really, really becomes tough to make sure it's getting implemented correctly and um, smoothly across all the different divisions. I mean, every every one of these construction projects almost acts like an independent office. So trying to get everybody playing uh, the same way and uh, trying to go across those standard operating procedures, it takes a lot of work. It takes, you know, standardized processes and uh, meetings and trainings and a lot of things that we need to uh, help them implement on a, on, a, on a basis. So, you know, implementation is a big part of this. And, uh, you know, the software upfront costs or the hardware upfront costs are only kind of a tiny chunk. Uh, it's the deliverable that you get out of that and uh, making sure people understand how to use it correctly. And a lot of times we get a lot of good feedback too from those processes. So, you know, we're always trying to improve these things and, and we're trying to shave off seconds right off of every procedure. So we shave off seconds every, off a couple little button clicks that equates to minutes in a week, you know, hours, hours in a week, hours in a month, and uh, tens of thousands of dollars in a year for every single customer that's using it. So that's, we, we love taking that feedback and love hearing from the customers. And when we're, we're going through some implementation processes, that's something we really try to uh, solicit from them as well. So uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, <clears throat> but I'm going to bring up um, the, the concept of digital twins. Um, so that I'm, I'm, I'm just giving that as kind of like a focal point. Uh, that could be an entire other episode. Um, but when in my stand, uh, kind of standpoint on all of this is that if, if we were to create a magical button right now and said, make a perfect digital twin product, my assertion is that um, in terms of it being a business, it would fail because we haven't, as an industry, really transferred from utilizing 2D drawings to really adopting 3D models. Do you agree with that, <laughs> first of all? Am I an idiot? So you're okay to say, Matt, you're an idiot. Um, so do you agree with that? And, uh, and, and in terms of that, that uh, venture of moving from t 2D to 3D, where do you think we are in terms of the industry? Yeah, you're not an idiot and, and uh, agree with you wholeheartedly, honestly. So I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, there's been a lot of folks that have been dabbling in this or pushing the for you know, pushing it at the forefront and, you know, let's say 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was kind of the one percenters. We're probably into the 10 to 20, maybe 30 percent, depending on the market and where we're at. And uh, 
kind of peer pressure, honestly, is sometimes one of the biggest <laughs> players in this entire game is uh, when people start to lose projects to the people that are digitizing the process and taking it down to the 3D level and then handing over a, a true digital twin to the owner when they get done, they get rewarded by more projects. And so that peer pressure really seems to uh, turn up the ratchet on uh, certain markets in certain areas. So. I'd say, you know, there's a lot of room to grow for sure in that entire market. Uh, but I, I think everybody's starting to get educated and slowly but surely start to pull these along. Um, I was just out in uh, Washington, D.C. earlier last week, actually, for uh, meetings with uh, a group called Talk, which is the Association of Union Contractors and uh, building a lot of uh, industrial projects. And, you know, there's, they said this still they've got a lot of a lot of processes and procedures that are still paper and pencil and, and uh, you know, Excel spreadsheets if we're lucky. And so we're still fighting that battle. And, and uh, like you said, there's no magic bullet, I'd say at this point to solve every problem. That's why we have, I don't know how many tens of thousands of software programs out in the, out in the uh, construction ecosystem right now. But I think the big name of the game is trying to, trying to democratize all that data and trying to feed it into whatever, whatever database they're trying to utilize at that process. So um, Trimble Connect is working really well for us. Uh, Quadri on the civil side seems to be working really well for us. Um, having that uh, source of truth with, with project site and having the, uh, you know, the 2D documents all in one place and the change order documents all in one place, that's been a big, big huge component. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying. I think everybody's trying in the industry and slowly but surely we'll, we'll pull everybody along here. There's still gonna be lots of work for those folks that hate technology. There's remodels everywhere that they can go in and, and uh, do it by hand. And hopefully I'm still trying to influence quite a few of those folks that, hey, I can I can scan my kitchen, 3D model it, and uh, save you guys probably tens of thousands of dollars just on a kitchen remodel if uh, we digitize that process. So there, there's room to grow and there will be for a long, long time. I think. But, Absolutely. So with the... Um, <clears throat> changing a little bit and coming back to something I said we would talk about uh, in terms of you, your involvement in the unions. So um, I think especially with the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that came out and the influx of funding for um, new projects as well as, 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 as backlog projects, um, the number one concern with these uh, um, owner agencies is that the labor shortage um and they're like great got all this funding no idea how we're going to get <laughs> get it built because we don't have the people to to help execute it um so there is uh to me there there's a couple sides to to talk about one being well okay how can you leverage technology to help you uh do more with the same resources uh, but on the same side is that um and i think this is where your involvement with with the unions um, and, and other educational um, sources is trying to help um, influence the, the future of, of that labor shortage or rather lack thereof, hopefully, eventually. So talk to us a bit about what you do uh, in different, uh, different areas within, we'll just call it the educational space. Um, and what does that all entail? Sure. Um... So yeah, I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of the trade unions and uh, a lot of non-union contractors as well, and non-union non, non -union, uh, 
trade associations and, and uh, trade schools uh, still teach a lot of universities. That was one of the things that, that I asked for when I came over to Trimble was, hey, can I you know, take this to my alma maters and the, you know, the local universities here? So I've been teaching at uh, CSU, Colorado State University up at Fort Collins for probably about six, seven years. K-State for probably eight years, uh, Cal Poly, Virginia Tech, so all sorts of schools all over the place and, and basically teaching a lot of these fundamentals of total station surveying, laser scanners, mixed reality, all those different technologies. And what I found was, um, you know, we're really trying to take and, and make construction cool again, right? Like when a lot of the uh, counselors in high school for the last 40 years, they've been telling every student, hey, you need to go get a college degree and, and get out there and doesn't matter if you don't know what uh, what you want to learn, just go enroll in college and start your degree process. And I think what we've seen is we've had a lot of folks graduate from college and it may have taken them six or eight years to get a, a single degree. I know it took me, I think, like, uh, five and a half, six years to get my degrees. And I think I changed degrees probably three or four times trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. So uh, when we go to a lot of these career fairs, we can show them, you know, 3D models up on the screen. We can show them the total stations, the robots there. We've got Spot the Dog, the integration with Boston Dynamics and our laser scanners there where we can drive a robot around the, the entire uh, career fair center. And, and uh, it really seems to grab the student's attention that never would have thought about construction as a, a possible career opportunity. And now they see that, oh yeah, well I can, I can go into construction and I can be in IT and focus focus in that direction as well and focus on these digital aspects that uh, they might not have ever thought existed in the first place. So that's been a big part of it, um, is just trying to get that that, uh, that information out to the high schoolers and the junior high students, and letting them know that this, is, this actually exists in the first place. And then it comes down to actually, like I said before, like training the, the individuals on these uh, on these programs. So. Uh, we've got a great team. We've got all sorts of folks that uh, concentrate on the educational realm, you know, at the university level, at the at the uh, trade school level, at the union uh, union training courses as well. And so, you know, I'll go out and actually teach these classes and and uh, take two to two days to a week and and take them all the way through that digital process where we show them a couple 3D models. We may show them how to 3D model and you know, easy to use tools like SketchUp or AutoCAD or whatever it might be take those 3D models out to the field, lay them out in, uh, in the training centers, uh, and then digitize that, bring the as-built information back, or laser scan their entire facility and turn that into a 3D model. And that really seems to uh, you know, put the rubber on the road there, and they see that, oh, this is not rocket science, right? I don't have to have a full uh, professional license survey degree or program that way, or um, you know, I don't necessarily need a full engineering degree, or if I, I'm interested, I can go into the trades and get a degree simultaneously. So I think there's there's all sorts of programs. You know, I know that uh, uh, some of the trade schools have this in place. A lot of the union uh, training programs have this in place, but they'll actually receive college credit while they're getting paid to go through their apprenticeship while they're getting paid by their contractors. So it may take them an extra, you know, few hours every every quarter, uh, but they're able to get uh, you know almost a full uh, associate's degree worth of credits by the time they fulfill the, the apprenticeship requirements. Plus they're getting paid, plus they've got benefits, and then they can take night school and, and or take a break and go back and finish their bachelor's program or master's program and still continue that education but have a lot a lot clearer definition of what they want to do in their career at that point in time. Plus, plus hopefully some money in their pocket, which, which always helps to get through college. <laughs>
absolutely. Yeah, they, I've always said, <clears throat> so I, in one of my many careers, I was a teacher and, um, and it was, I mean, so this was 20 years ago. And one of the things I recognized and that it was a problem, right, is that, and it goes back to, to what you just said in terms of the counselors are just, you know, historically just pushing four-year college degree, four-year college degree. And, you know, I, I taught at, a, at an inner city school and it was just like, listen, not every kid is going to go to college and they're, they're getting absolutely, um, you know, just, I don't want to say ignored, but I mean, the, 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 the educational system was just not designed for them. And I'm, and the, the city that, that I was teaching in, I was, it, there really wasn't a really great technical school for these kids to go to. There was a, uh, a part day uh, program they could go to and they, they flourished in that environment. Um, and, but, but what I'm also seeing is that, you know, from 20 years ago to now, it's like, now it's, it's, there, there is such an opportunity within construction. There's such a, a growth opportunity that even the, the big technology companies are recognizing. And there's a reason why they're investing in, in, in construction is because it's like the, the latest frontier. Uh, which industry hasn't had technological adoption? Which, which one has the greatest growth potential? And there's a great opportunity here for not only college-bound students, but also non-college-bound students to take advantage of, uh, of that. So uh, I think it's great, the, the things that, 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 that you're doing uh, in that space. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, even on the workforce that's in, in construction right now, I think I saw a stat that the majority of uh, the folks that are in construction are in that 35 to 55-year-old uh, range bracket. So with, I think, a larger majority of that in the 45 to 55-year-old range bracket. So you know, in the next 10 years, we're looking at losing a lot of that institutional knowledge, a lot of that uh, tribal knowledge that's been gained out there on these job sites. And, you know, sometimes the best way to learn is to do it wrong. So if, if these folks have learned it uh, very well in their careers, um, hopefully we can get them to pass that information over to the next generation and start to recruit that next generation. And, you know, things like, um, you know, the XR10 with the HoloLens version 2, there's uh, programs with Microsoft, they've got uh, program called uh, remote assist so if you think about you know maybe maybe there's a superintendent that got banged up and they can't really make it out to the job site or what we've seen the last couple of years with covid they're you know at risk and they don't want to be out there in the job site with, with all the young bucks and and uh, getting getting the opportunity to get covid or something like that they can literally log into their computer um, log into like a microsoft teams uh, meeting and then the people on the other end, they can be wearing the XR10 or wearing the HoloLens and they can see through their eyes, see exactly what they're seeing, make markups on the walls or on the piece of equipment or the tools and you know the parts and pieces right in front of them and literally talk them through, okay, here's here's how you put this together, here's how you lock out tag out on the uh, on the power system for this new air handler, whatever you're doing, and you know, walk them through the entire process and hopefully, you know. Give a lot of that knowledge transfer over to that next generation and it's a one-to-many type of situation too so they don't have to just do that with one one uh, apprentice or one journeyman out on the job site they can actually do it with multiple folks and you know just be almost like a call center where they can help manage at a foreman level but they can do it remotely either from their phone or from a computer almost anywhere in the world and 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 help to guide those folks and keep them from making mistakes and keep them safe and 
make the make the whole process a little bit more efficient. So all sorts of opportunities. Oh yeah. Well, excellent. So that is actually all the time we have. Uh, Want to really? Uh, it went by quick, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for more. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't too, too too much torture. But uh, thank you very much, uh, Ian Warner, for for joining us today. Thank you to everybody who has tuned in to to listen to this episode. Hopefully, everybody found the information uh, to be extremely helpful, enlightening. Uh, and uh, and informative. So thank you all very much, and we look forward to seeing you all at our next episode of the Connecting Construction Podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Ian.